What would happen if you didn't show up to work tomorrow morning? How many days could you skip out on your job playing hooky before somebody at your work noticed that you were absent? Good morning. My name is Matt. I'm the senior pastor here at Bible Center, and it's awesome to have you with us. Uh, It's great to worship with you. I wish you could hear yourself uh, all together as one choir sing. I love what God is doing in our worship services, and it's so great to have you with us. This morning, I want to tell you about a guy who actually did that. He skipped out of work for six years, and no one noticed. His name was Joaquin Garcia. He was a facilities manager at a water plant in Spain, and he went, again, six years. Whenever people were interviewed after they found out that he had been skipping work for that long, people, they asked, didn't you notice your coworker missing? And they just automatically assumed that maybe somebody else, maybe off-site, online, was managing the plant. Last year, he was up for a nomination for faithful service, serving 20 years at the water plant. I'm sure it just popped up on somebody's email in the HR department. And when they went to award him, they found out he hadn't actually been there for that long. Come to find out, for six years, he had been studying the philosopher, the Dutch philosopher Spinoza, and had dedicated his life for as long as he could not to show up to work. And then afterwards, he thought it was a good idea to retire. What would happen if Bible Center Church did that? What would happen if we didn't show up for work next Sunday, or we as a church didn't show up for work on Monday? What would happen if we closed our doors and stopped being a church? What would happen in the city of Charleston if if we put a do not disturb sign and never again met to worship, belong, and serve? I'd like to think the city of Charleston would be sad, and I'm confident the city of Charleston uh, would be the worst for it. But still we have to ask the question, why do we want to be a church Charleston can't live without? Before we go any farther, I do want to take a second and mention this idea of Charleston. Some of you have come to me and say, well, hey, I live in Pinch, or I live in Elkview, or I live in, uh, down towards Barbersville, or I live in Boone County. Why do you say Charleston? Well, really, it's three reasons. First of all, we're in the zip code, 25309, and even though that's a South Charleston zip code, we're in Charleston city limits. Before you bought the property uh, back in 2004, all this 96 acres, it was zoned for Charleston city limits. So that's one reason. Another reason, it's really hard for some people to say the word Kanawha Valley. You know, if you you can tell somebody's from out of town when you say, hey, um, what county do you live in? And they say Kanawha County. Now, we don't live in Kanawha County. This is Kanawha County. And we're in the Kanawha Valley. It just sounds really good to say a city Charleston can't live without. But I'm from here. Many of you are from here. And even though I didn't grow up in Charleston, I grew up in St. Albans, we would tell everybody we were from Charleston. You know, if you go to Chicago or you go to New York, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Charleston, West Virginia. And usually that helped. I mean, occasionally somebody would say, oh, great, I've got a relative in Richmond. And a lot of you heard it too. I'm like, well, there was a civil war, and we are our own state now. But today I plan to answer the question, why we want to be a Charleston, a church Charleston can't live without. And then I want to give you an example at the end of the message of a church 
that we want to be just like. Let me invite you to take your Bible or your Bible app and open with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verses 14 through 17. Let me invite you to stand if you're physically able. I'll read Matthew 5 verses 14 through 16. These are the words of Jesus. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So why do we want to be a church Charleston can't live without? We've put some notes in the bulletin for you if you enjoy taking notes. It's also on the app. The first reason listed is because Charleston can be a very dark place. Charleston can be a very dark place. In this passage, he's emphasizing light. And we, in 21st century America, can take light for granted. But it was a precious commodity when this text was written. When Jesus spoke, it was precious. Some of you who lived through the derecho a few years ago, the derecho, you know how precious electricity and light is and how inconvenient it can be to try to live life without it. Here we find that Jesus is quoting or pointing back to a famous passage in Isaiah Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. Isaiah writes, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy, and they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. Light brings security, safety, But think about what the opposite brings. If you lived in this time of the world and didn't have access to light or you had no more oil to light your lamp, it would bring insecurity. It would bring anxiety. It would bring uncertainty. This past week, some of us were overwhelmed by the darkness of the eclipse. We went out to watch it. We could hardly see our hands in front of our faces. It was so dark here in Charleston. You can tell who was out of town and who wasn't. Um, I think it would have been neat to live, to be down in like Charleston, South Carolina. That would have been neat to, to watch the eclipse there. But there was a sheriff in Georgia who decided to play on all the hype of the eclipse. And this is what he wrote uh, to his county this past week. His name is Scott Berry. And he made the following announcement on Facebook. About the time your kids are riding home from school on the bus... There will be a solar eclipse of the sun with the celestial forces no one understands. It's very likely that this is the end of life on this planet as we know it. As your sheriff, he really did this, I expect each of you to begin panicking immediately. There's no need to wait until Sunday night to buy bread and milk. The shelves will be empty already as vast hordes descend upon grocery stores. If you wait, the only thing that might be left is potted meat and knockoff brand cereal, such as Raisin-O's and Cherry Brand. I hate those cereals. Uh, 
don't look at the eclipse, unless, of course, you live in the backwoods of Tennessee. In that case, no one will hear you scream as you stumble blindly into a moonshine still or a bear trap. Millions of Americans are... I'm going to get an email about that one. Millions of Americans are blinded every week by staring directly into the sun. Eclipse or not, don't do it. Your sunglasses will not protect you from certain death if you look at the sun. However, for a mere $29.99 plus $9 shipping and handling, you can order, stare directly at the sun wearing these glasses from NASA through the home shopping network. Leading scientists tell us that post-eclipse, the only two things that are expected to survive are cockroaches and Facebook. But <laughs> wait, is that the same thing or are they different? You know, Charleston's a wonderful place. It really is. We got to enjoy a little bit of it Friday night. We like going downtown. There's a lot here to enjoy. It's a great city. We're committed to raising our children here. Uh, we went down on Friday night to the, for the first time ever, the Recovery Grill. It was good. I saw a lot of Bible Center people there. It was great. Uh, we went over to Ellen's Ice Cream. Yep, we found some, found some good ice cream there. We like enjoying the Clay Center and the Civic Center. We love the Live on the Levee, which this Friday night is the last Live on the Levee. There's a lot to enjoy about Charleston. But we have to be honest that Charleston can still be a very dark place. Our city is just as broken as any other city. And while I like seeing life through rose-colored glasses, we, we see the news, we read the paper, we, we see the announcements online. Charleston is a very broken place. This past week, the man uh, was convicted who... Uh, convicted for putting, uh, letting a two-year-old little boy die on his watch. And there were two sides to every story. Some of you may have been involved in that, but a Kanawha County man, he said he grew scared when the little boy, he found the little boy dead, and so he put the little boy in a freezer. But the state's case included evidence showing that the man caused the little boy to stop breathing and eventually placed him in a freezer. According to the medical examiner, the official cause of death was asphyxiation with possibility of hypothermia. Reading the paper this week, I was reminded back in January of the 19-year-old young man who was killed with a machete behind the Lowe's in Canal City. And again, his murderer was uh, brought in this week uh, for uh, more, more questioning. We find that on Wednesday, Kanawha County man was charged with first-degree murder after shooting two of his neighbors. Maybe you saw the article. They'd been in a fight for some time, and they were arguing back and forth. This is just a few minutes from here. And the man on his four-wheeler pulled up beside his other neighbor, took a gun, shot through the truck, killing the driver of the truck instantly. And the bullet also went through the arm of his wife. And whenever the ambulance arrived, neighbors were doing CPR, but he was pronounced dead on the scene. That happened on Wednesday in our county. I read an article that makes our, make my stomach turn, and I'll just give you the, de the, the summary. But two West Virginia men face prison after admitting, sending, and receiving child pornography, and one of them lived in Clendenin. He possessed hundreds of images and videos of things that should never take place on this earth. That happened in our county. 
West Virginia has the highest overdose death rate in the nation with 840 fatal overdoses in 2016. That means a West Virginian dies of an overdose every 10 hours. In the last two years, our needle exchange program has grown to the size of the city of Baltimore's. And in 2016 report for crime in Charleston, just Charleston city limits, there were 969 burglaries, almost 2,000 larceny cases, almost 800 uh, auto reports of breaking and entering, and 312 vehicle thefts. And Steve Cooper, our chief of police, says most of that is related to drugs, namely heroin. Our city can be a very dark place, but it's not only out there. It can also be in our neighborhoods. It's in our homes because it's in our hearts. You see, most of us live in a neighborhood or on a street where it's easy to hide our brokenness. We live in a place where most of us, where we don't have to worry much about any of this walking down the street, but you can hide the same brokenness behind a, behind a picket fence. This week on your street, there could have been a couple who fought so hard that one of them told the other one that they were walking out. On your street this week, there could have been a young man addicted to pornography, and over and over again, he hates himself, and he wants freedom, but his parents don't even know, and you don't know. Somebody last night on your street may have, may have thought about suicide, or may have just thought about giving up on life, even if they didn't take their own. It's not only in our neighborhoods, but it's in our own homes, and it's in our own hearts. Galatians chapter 5 clearly tells us that any sin that an unsaved person can commit, a Christian has the potential to commit. Galatians chapter 5 and so it's easy for us to think about all the sin that's taking place on a certain side of town or a certain end of town, and we feel like we can distance ourselves from it. But when we look at our own hearts, we have to admit that there's darkness within us. What sin did you commit this week that if it were to be plastered on the screens, you would run for your life? because you're so embarrassed. One more question. What sin were you tempted to commit this week? It went through your mind. You maybe didn't give in, and maybe you didn't sin, but you were tempted. It just went through your mind, and you thought, oh, that's... If that were plastered on the screen, what would you do? We live in a very dark world with some very dark hearts. In that context, Jesus gives us this word. Charleston is a very dark place. Thankfully, he doesn't leave us there. Number two, we see that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. He says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13, 14, you are the light of the world. 
You say, I thought you said Jesus is the light of the world. Well, it reminds us of John 8, 12, where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus was using an illustration that only first century uh, people, or the first century people could clearly understand the Jews believed the Messiah, the coming Savior, was going to be the light of the world. And we see this imagery of light all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, for instance, uh, Abraham, there's a passage in the Old Testament that equates Abraham to being the light of the world. And so there would, if you were a Jew, you would have thought perhaps that Abraham was going to be the light of the world, but then Abraham messed up. And the darkness of his own heart overcame, and he couldn't be the light of the world. There's a passage in the Psalms that references David as being somewhat of the light or the light bearer of the world. And if you lived during the time of David, you might have thought, this is it. David is going to save us once and for all. But David's dark heart overtook him, and he couldn't be the light of the world. There's numerous passages in the Old Testament that compare Israel to being the light of the world. And the Jews thought themselves, we will be the light of the world. But it didn't take long to recognize they would not be the light of the world. And so Jesus came on the scene knowing the failures of Moses and Israel and Abraham and David. And he says, you've been looking for the light. I am the light Matthew equated this to Jesus in Matthew 4.16. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. So which is it? Are we the light of the world, or is Jesus the light of the world? The answer, of course, is both. And there's an order to it. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. We can be the light of the world now... Because Jesus was the light of the world first. We can be the light of the world now because Jesus was the light of the world first. Think about it for a moment. Jesus took our darkness so that we could have his light. Maybe you're new to church and you're just trying to get, wrap your mind around the whole Jesus story uh, the amazing thing of the New Testament is that it tells us that Jesus left the glories of heaven to take on human flesh. The Bible teaches he was a real man, all God, yet all man, born in a manger in Bethlehem, lived a perfect life. Jesus couldn't have just showed up on Friday and died, rose from the grave on Sunday and saved us. But he had to live an entire life. Think of that over three decades with no sin. He lived a perfect life. He preached a perfect message. He pointed people to God. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He caused the blind to see and the deaf to hear. And yet they crucified him as a threat to their religious system. But thankfully, Jesus Christ, as he died on the cross, the Bible says there was darkness over the whole earth, uh, for the space of about three hours. And we find that Jesus in that moment took all of our darkness and all of our sin and all of our idolatry and all of our selfishness and he paid for it all so that we could experience his light. 
The good news of the gospel isn't something you have to earn. The good news of the gospel is that somebody else already earned it for you. The gospel is the good news that the living God, who demands perfection of all humankind, sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live a sinless life to suffer and die on the cross as a substitute for our sins, absorbing the judgment we rightfully deserve to rise again, to ascend back into heaven, and to give forgiveness and righteousness and His Spirit and eternal life at the moment you repent and believe. I want to provide in the next few weeks a very simple gospel summary one theologian said the gospel is three words, God saves sinners. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel is simply Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Put a gospel definition for you up on the screen. The gospel is simply this. I'm a sinner, so Jesus died. I need salvation so Jesus arose. I'm a sinner, so Jesus died. I need salvation, so Jesus arose. This morning, if you believe that message and you're ready to become a follower of Jesus, let me know today. Send me a note this week. We would love as a church to help you journey and walk on, in that path of following Christ as the Lord of your life. Charleston is a dark place, but Jesus is the light of the world. So why do we say we want to be a church Charleston can't live without? Number three, because Jesus invites us to reflect his light in Charleston. Because Jesus invites us to reflect his light in Charleston. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. Then he uses another image. He says a city. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. A city built on a hill was expensive in ancient times. But if you built a city on a hill, you had an advantage. Not only could you see far into the distance, but weary travelers could see you at night. A city on a hill, especially at night, provided hope and direction. And so here Jesus says, hey, be like this kind of a city. There's a picture of Jerusalem here at night. Of course, this is modern-day Jerusalem. But you can just picture being a traveler miles away, meandering up the hill, and you see that place of hope. Jesus says, that's what I invite you to be as a Christian. From the very beginning, Bible Center Church has been all about the city. Our official name is not Bible Center Church, but our official name on all the books is the City Bible Center we are still officially the City Bible Center, doing business as the Bible Center Church. In the first bulletin from 1943 in my office, I found this week that in 1943 we were heavily involved in radio ministry. Heavily involved, which was cutting edge at that time. Heavily involved in hospital ministry, prison work. And it didn't hit me till this week, we were heavily involved in providing relief and care to soldiers and their families. Now, I've read that before, but think about what was going on in 1943. We were in the middle of a war, and it wasn't going well. 
When Bible Center Church was started, it was a time of great uncertainty. And this small band of believers got together and said, we know what the papers say. We know what the world is saying. But the gospel isn't dependent on how Charleston is doing. Charleston is dependent on the gospel. I went back and read what was going on in March of 43, Auschwitz had just been exposed like the week before Bible Center Church was started. Uh, um, what's his name? Patton had just gone to North Africa and was given command uh, like a few days, on the 5th of March, I believe it was, two days before Bible Center Church was started in 1943. The world was in chaos. Thousands upon hundreds of thousands of people were losing their lives, and yet this church says, we want to be a light in the darkness. This is in planning to be part of the message. But once in a while, you'll hear people say, is this really a good time to really emphasize church? I mean, there's a lot going on in the world. You know, you talk about hope and uh, you talk about good news. Is this really a good time for that? You know, there's just so many other needs in the world. What should our response to that be? I believe it should be the same response as it was in 1943. The light shines brightest in the darkest of night. This is a great time to take the gospel to the city. And Jesus invites us and says, look, I know Charleston is hurting. I know the statistics look bad. But I am calling you as a church not to run from the darkness, but to run into the darkness. Now's the time when we have opportunity to be the greatest light. If you're taking notes and you underline in your Bible, you might underline starting in verse, let's go back up to verse 11, all the personal pronouns, the second person personal pronouns. I counted 10. You might count more. In verse 11, he says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. There's three. And say all, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others. They may see your good works and give glory to your Father, which is in heaven. The interesting thing about these personal pronouns is that they're in the second person plural. They're not referring to you as one person but the original readers and the original hearers would have heard Jesus. He's referring to you all. If Jesus was from West Virginia, he would say, y'all. Y'all are the light of the world. That's what he's saying. It's not just you as your individual Christian reading your Bible by yourself in the middle of the desert. No, this is you as a church, Bible-centered church, huddled together as a community of faith. You are the light of the world. Peter picked up on this theme in 1 Peter 2 when he was quoting Jesus almost word for word. He says to the church, you are the people of God. The greatest missionary force is a church doing life and ministry together. So how do we do that? Well, there's two ways at Bible Center when we try to summarize how we do ministry 
And and these are the next two outlines. I'll go ahead and give them to you both, the next two blanks. One, we do ministry by declaring gospel words. And then two, we do ministry by doing gospel works. By declaring gospel words and by doing gospel works. So we could summarize it this way. How do we do ministry? We do ministry by sharing Christ and serving others. Sharing Christ and serving others. Sharing Christ and meeting needs. Both, we find, are in the scriptures. Both are important. Let's think about the first. How do we serve our city? How do we be a light? By first of all, declaring gospel words. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and he says, when you declare the gospel, it's as if you're taking a light and shattering the darkness. Our gospel must not be hid. It must be proclaimed, for Paul says that's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Starting next month, starting next Sunday, it's hard to believe it's already September, we're going to start a new series out of the book of Colossians. I am so excited for the series. The idea of Colossians is Paul takes this familiar gospel, one that we've heard so many times, if you've been in church for even just a few years, and he takes the gospel and he he presents it in a new and creative and exciting way. We're going to walk through verse by verse through Colossians, where every Sunday someone who comes can hear the gospel about how to be saved. We're always going to be that. We'll never be less than that at Bible Center Church. We declare gospel words, but we also want to be a church that does gospel works. That does gospel works. Notice what Jesus says in verse 16. Let your light shine before others that they may see your, see your what? Good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We're about doing good works. We are not here just to hold services. God hasn't invited us to take over the world. But the language here is language of serving and loving and helping a city flourish. He invites us to do good works in our city that others may see our good works and glorify and some way know that God exists. Jeremiah 29 is a famous chapter if you've been in church for any length of time. But over in Jeremiah 29 and verse 4, God gives a message to the exiles in Babylon. These Jews had been taken captive about 500 years before Christ. And they, even though they were being held captive in Babylon, they refused to go into the city. You can just picture them. And and I make light of it. I can't imagine my family being ripped apart and taken thousands of miles away. But you can picture as they're sitting on the edge of the river and they're refusing to cross the bridge into the city and they're kind of they're complaining about these pagans and praying that God will judge them and they're waiting for the Lord to provide salvation. God sends them a message. Notice what he writes in Jeremiah 29.4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, you, you don't want to miss this, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf 
For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. In 15 years of pastoral ministry, I've met a lot of people who deeply love and look forward to the second coming of Christ. And that is a great thing. But in the scriptures, the second coming of Jesus was never intended to be something that caused you to withdraw from the world and just wait until until Jesus comes. But in the Bible, the message to us is the same as it was to the Jews in Babylon. Don't stick around twiddling your thumbs, waiting for salvation to come, when hoping that God brings judgment on this pagan world. But instead, he says, go into the city, seek its welfare, bless the city, do good, because in doing good, you will glorify me. I want Jesus to come back as much as the next person. But Jesus had a lot to say about people who twiddled their thumbs and waited for him to come back without getting busy serving him where they were. May God help us be a church that says we want Charleston to flourish because in the flourishing of Charleston, God will be glorified. I've been asked a few times, maybe a few hundred times, why do you say we want to be a church Charleston can't live without? Like, is that really, you know, I got some friends, some good friends, and they, I always see the life half full, right? The glass half full. They see the glass half empty. Some of you think we're all idiots. You just see a glass. But my friends who see, just, I love them. They see the glass a little bit half empty. They'll say, you know, in the Bible, every time the gospel went forward, there was persecution and there was judgment. And, And the world hated Christians. That's true. In verses 10 and 11, Jesus was admitted that. In verses 10 and 11, he, he talked about persecution and said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In the Bible, persecution was common. Some say there are more martyrs in the 20th and 21st century than ever in the history of the world. We have it very, very easy in America. I'm a pastor of a great church. I don't have to worry about much persecution. Maybe somebody once in a while dropping a line in the the comment section of the paper, but that's really about it. But there are people around the world who do have to suffer for their faith. So I want to acknowledge that. In the book of Acts, over half the time, that's what happened. But we also acknowledge the other side. And that we see that here in chapter 5, verse 16, where Jesus says, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. In Acts chapter 2, it says that when the apostles did what they did, they had, the church had great favor among all the people. Great favor. So it's not an either or, it's a both and. We can expect persecution, but I do hope you don't leave the service this morning saying, oh Lord, bring on persecution. 
Bring it on. I hope that they persecute us for being Christians in Charleston. I've met a few of those people, and they're nuts. Please don't be those people. But instead, we can leave this morning saying, God, make us a church that Charleston can't live without. Make us a church that if we cease to exist, Charleston would be sad. Volunteer hours would be drastically reduced. Good works would be drastically reduced because Bible Center no longer exists. Make the people of Charleston at least acknowledge that God is doing something in our hearts and in our lives. I believe God is doing something at Bible Center, and he has been doing that for over 74 years. Right now in our church, there's a groundswell. There's a movement of, of several things. We're seeing this movement of adoption and foster care. So many of you talk about, I didn't know how many of you have been involved in the adoption and foster care process. Michelle and Richard Thompson just got elected as one of the Dave Thomas uh, adoption families for 2017. Michelle's been flown to DC1. She's getting ready to go back in September. She's shooting videos for the organization. She's being trained on how to speak on adoption foster care. One day I want an adoption foster care office, one day soon, right here at Bible Center that works with like Davis Child Shelter and the other good organizations. She wants to have an advocacy office that helps people walk through the process. She believes there's so many good agencies, but she, people need help. That's one thing I see God doing in our church. I see the Lord doing a great work when it comes to special needs ministry, ministering to families with those with special needs. Two weekends ago, Pastor Matt Garrison held a training just wondering how many would come, and 26 of you showed up to be buddies here at Bible Center, just, just buddies. That's not top-shelf care, but it's something. We're saying, we know we need a lot more training, we need a lot more equipment, we probably need a staff person, but it's something. Many of you are involved in the prison ministry. You're involved in, in students, you're serving the community at, uh, through Union Mission or through the Crossroads Crisis Pregnancy Center. You're serving all over the city. I love what God is doing. But think about how this city could be impacted if we all found our fit. If we all found our fit, in the bulletin this morning, there are a number of ways that you can find your fit. I picked it up and was thumbing through it. As John mentioned a moment ago, we have the membership weekend. Maybe your next step is to find your place in a belong membership weekend. Maybe as a lady, it's you felt on the fringes for a while, and you're going to jump into the, the worship event in September 15th and 16th. I was pretty pumped to see the, all the list of adult Bible fellowships and the new group that starts September 10th for young professionals. Maybe your next step is to go out in the gathering space and sign up for a place to serve. But here's my encouragement to you today. Find your fit so we can be a church Charleston can't live without. Find your fit so we can be a church Charleston can't live without. Occasionally, somebody will say, what kind of church are you modeling Bible Center after? Who do you want to be like? Oh, I have a church in mind. This church uh, was much larger than Bible Center, but it existed in its prime 150 years ago. The Metropolitan Tabernacle Church in London 
Pastor C.H. Spurgeon was a church that London couldn't live without. By the end of the 1700s, the Industrial Revolution had wreaked havoc across the city, really across all of England. People had to move outside of their smaller towns because there was no more work. Kind of sounds a lot like our coal towns. And they had to move into the city to find work and find community and find health care. And they're coming into the city, but the infrastructure of the city really couldn't handle it. And so there are numerous challenges with not only big families, but with orphans and, and with the elderly and with the sick. There were multiple challenges. And this church in London says, we want to be a church that makes a difference. They started an orphanage. They started multiple ministries, partnering with other agencies, like we might partner with Union Mission in the city. They begin to reach out with the Bible Institute, and they even bought clothes for some of the, the pastors who, who coming from these rural areas. They bought books. They paid for the training. It was said that if London ever lost Metropolitan Tabernacle, London would grieve. The thing I read this week that moved me the most, that in the middle of a church wanting to make a difference in their city, Spurgeon finally had to give up and give an announcement asking church members to stop coming to church once a month because they needed room to give up their seat for people who needed to hear the gospel. The church was making such an impact in their city that London couldn't do without. And my prayer is that God will help us as a church make such an impact in our city that Charleston won't be able to do without. Let's pray that God makes it so. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the call to be salt and light. I pray that you would help us to live above any political agenda on either side. And I pray that you would help us to be bold with gospel words and bold with gospel works. Help us to be a church that collectively does good things in our city that more people may know Jesus. With heads bowed and eyes closed, today I talked about the gospel and putting your faith in Christ. If you've never turned to Jesus as your Lord and Master, can I invite you to do that today? With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'll pray a prayer. There's no set prayer in the Bible. But you could pray this prayer and ask God to be the Lord of your life. Ask Christ to be your master. Will you pray this with me? Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. But I believe you love me and died on the cross to save me. I believe you rose again the third day. Come into my life. Make me a Jesus follower. Start changing me from the inside out. Amen. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer, would you let us know today, let us know this week. We'd love to help you. And Christian, as we close out this service with one last song in a moment, Let's sing as if we believe the gospel is the only hope for Charleston.